We want to remind everyone we have social media exclusive content like our two-minute drill as well as other video content. To find that, please make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok for more. Well, hello, everybody, and we are set to kick off episode number nine of the Let's Be Frank podcast. I am not Jason Dewey, by the way. I am Jim <laughs> Derry, as you can tell. I mean, I'm, a, I'm a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. We're going to have fun tonight on the podcast. We're going to recap week eight of the prep season going into week nine. It's hard to believe just two games left in the regular season. We're also going to talk about LSU's big shutout victory, their largest shutout win in 45 years. Tulane scraping by against North Texas and the Saints. Whew. What's going on with the New Orleans Saints? We're going to talk about all that, along with a special guest this afternoon or this evening, uh, LSU associate head coach Frank Wilson, also the running back coach. We're going to talk to him uh, this afternoon. But before we get to all that, we want to take a moment to thank our title sponsor, Arcardo and Dufresne Law Firm, your go-to River Parish lawyers. It is time to bring in the coach, Coach Frank Monica. What is going on? It is great to be. I'm so thankful that you guys asked me to, to fill in for Jason uh, this evening. Uh, lo- always love talking to you, Coach. Coach, I enjoy your, your knowledge, your, your insight to the game because it looks like you've been around. And I don't know if you've ever played the game, but but, uh, but Coach, you certainly know a lot about the game, and and you've always been been a very very good friend of the high school football, Coach. And thank you for for pinch hitting tonight for for Jason. Uh, we we have a lot to talk about with with the prep games of the of the week, the past week. Uh, you know, first of all, we lead off and. And I think everybody's interested. Uh, John Curtis beat uh, St. Aug the other night, and it was a real, real good ball game. And um, and, and it also gave Coach two 620 victories. He's one way went away from tying it. And uh, I remember years back, and uh, Jim, when when JT first started the school, they were 0 and 10 school, and from That's then right. it started to build. And and uh, and from now now he is going to be the winningest coach in in America. And uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, a lot of those wins were against me. So so. <laughs> So I helped his career. I want him to know that, you know, so, but, uh, yeah, it's, Coach, it's can, I ask to you, him. can I ask you, you won a lot of, you won so many games. How hard is it to fathom winning 620 games? Oh, Coach, I mean, it, it's just durability. It's uh, the good Lord blessed him for keeping him in good health. And the fact that he, he still loved the game at that age and still going on, you know, and I think that, that that's so important that when you, and he's got a great assistant staff, you know, that, uh, that keeps him alive with his, his, his family, his sons and, and uh, relatives in, in the school. He's got good players and, you know, he's just got a thorough program. I mean, and this, when the school first started, he never did realize it. And they, they, they majored in football and they made that a primary sport for themselves. And, and now they're good in, in all sports. So, uh, just a, a tribute to their program and himself. And, you know, he's, everybody has talked about the Veer offense and the Veer offense. A lot of people have tried the Veer offense and didn't have much success, but he's had a number of good players to run. He's had good coaching staff, and he stuck with the system through all these years, through the years of spread, wing tee, and, uh, and, and uh, uh, high formation. Uh, JT stuck to his guns and ran one system. And what people don't realize is that they've always been extremely, extremely good on defense. Coach, the good Lord did not make it easy on him to get to even tie that record or break it because he's got Brother Martin coming up this week and he's got Carr in week number 10. So it will not be easy for Coach JT to finish this, uh, to get past the 621 in the regular season. Um, let's see. We'll see if he does it or if he has to wait to the playoffs. Either right. way, he's he's going to do it eventually. 
one of the way or the other. Exactly. Coach, let's move on and talk about uh, Holy Cross and Carr. And this was a tight ball game for a little while, but uh, Carr did what they do. It's like cat and the mouse. They just playing with their opponent a little bit, end up winning this one 47 to 16. No question. Johnson, the quarterback, is a sophomore. He's, he's exceptional, but Carr's got a lot of speed. You know, the, I, I joke all the time, even their cheerleaders run 4 4. They got speed, they have size, you know, they. Uh, they're well-balanced football team. They started off slug, uh, sluggishly because uh, the Holy Cross jumped out to 14-16, uh, 14-6 lead, rather. But I saw Holy Cross earlier in the year, and I didn't think that defense would hold up uh, throughout the, the Catholic League. They won some ball game. They can score. Uh, but, you know, you, you have to be able to play three phases in, in the Catholic League. And uh, but, but, you know, Carl looks like the team to beat uh, to win the district championship. And interestingly, these teams could be in a collision course to meet again in the playoffs. Right now, Carr is in the power rankings is number four in select uh, select Division One. Holy Cross is number five, so that could be a potential quarterfinals matchup later on. We'll have to find out and see. Uh, speaking of high up in the power ratings, how about the Brother Martin Crusaders, Coach? They are twenty-one to sixteen winners over Archbishop Rummel, and they are looking every bit the part. You had Coach Bonis on a couple weeks ago, and Brother Martin is looking solid. They, they, they were really a, a thorough team. I think they, they really play complementary football as good as anybody does. They play offense to the defense and their special team. Uh, the other night, the game was a lot closer. That, you know, they dominated the first quarter. They were up 14 nothing. Then all of a sudden, uh, Romo switched, switched to, to their defense, and they started playing great until Brother Morton hit a 91-yard on the third down and eight. They hit a 91-yard touchdown pass that really got some distance and, and hurt them. In fact, Brother Martin had two um, particular long passes. Both of them were out and ups. Uh, and one, both of them won third down, third down and long, both of them out and up passes. But the, the key to this game, Rumble got a late touchdown to make it 21-16, and then the onside kick and got it. Then they threw a deep pass, went all the way down to the five-yard line with less than a minute to go. They had a ball first down and go on the five. And on second down from the four-yard line, Romo gets a holding call on a on a play that didn't look like it deserved the holding call. It was a naked, and uh, but they got a 15-yard holding holding call, and that set them back. And they threw a ball in the end zone on fourth down, and they ended up losing the game. But you know it was a good game. But but Martin is it, Martin is solid in all phases. I know uh, Coach Monica himself would would like to have seen that that, that last play. You know, give him a shot in the, on the goal line, but it just didn't happen. But uh, the Catholic League's the Catholic League. You know, every week is is going to be that type of game. It goes to show you how tough it is, Coach. You know, Rummel beats John Curtis one week, and then they come in, they almost beat Brother Martin. So, I mean, this Rummel team has improved so much, Coach, since the beginning of the season. I can't wait to see what they do in the playoffs because I tell you, you're not going to want to play them uh, come November. Well, you know, they've had a lot of injuries. They have nine yeah. guys that are out. They're starting two ninth graders on on the defensive side of the ball and by necessity. And I don't know if he's going to get anyone back, maybe one guy back for the playoffs, hopefully, uh, if they get there. Brother Martin, uh, again, as we said, they will play John Curtis coming up. They are seated second right now in the power ratings in uh, in Division One and select. R- Brummel is 14th. So they are trying to get a home game in the first round. They get Carr this week. So playing them, even if they lose to them, it's not going to hurt them in the power ratings at all. All right, let's move on to the North Shore coach, my neck of the woods, and that's the St. Paul's Wolves. They keep rolling on. They don't win pretty all the time, but they just keep winning. 21-18, to 18, they will be on Varsity Sports now this week. Jim Rapier and I will have them against Ponchatoula in week number nine, but uh, just a gritty victory for the Wolves. You know, the, the, the tribute to Coach Sears, I mean, he's, he's been a resilient coach over the years, and he's, he's been there a long time. He, he knows where all the bones are buried. 
and he knows what wins, and that's defense. He knows what wins. You know, I think it's important. I know I had the philosophy, and I'm not sure Coach Sears has the same philosophy, but it looks like it, is build your defense first because you can find ways in high school to move the ball. Maybe not well, but you can move the ball and take care of the ball, but build your defense first because if you can't stop people, you have a hard time winning. And this was in, indicative of it. Uh, they went for it. I know they had, he had to make a choice late in the ball game, whether to kick the field goal, go for it. He went for it on fourth down, ended up scoring a touchdown to get some distance. And I also ascribe to the theory you have to win games. Defense prevents you from losing, but you have to win games with your offense. That means put it away if you have an opportunity. And that's exactly what they did. And that's a big rivalry win for them against Mandeville. St. Paul's is fighting for a bye right now in select division one. They are currently seventh in the power ratings. Got to be in the top eight. They look like they have a good chance to do that. They have a tough one this week in the swamp. Always tough to play there. Ponchatoula with a really good quarterback in Bishop Davis. They will see them this week. Mandeville, they're fighting for a spot in uh in non-select division one. They are 25th right now, trying to stay in the top 28. Okay, coach moving on, staying on the North Shore. It's a uh, slide L, a 33 to 19 victory. Oldest rivalry in St. Tammany Parish. The Slidell Tigers, Malter Scoble pulling it out against Greg Salter. Two uh, two big-time coaches on the North Shore going up against each other. Oh, Coach, isn't that fun to me? Coach, when I was playing high school ball way back then, it was called the Reserve High School, which is now East St. John. They changed the name. They were in our district. We had to travel to Covington, Slidell. And even back then, that was a that was a huge rivalry, and that was a that was good pure football, you know, play be, between the pine trees and the whole deal. And it hasn't even really changed, you know, from from year to year. Coach Scoville there, Slidell's going to play real real good defense. I know Covington plays a good schedule, but again, those two districts, the Catholic League and those two districts, the most competitive districts in in the state. Every week you're going to play a good opponent, an opponent that can beat you. So uh, it's going to be interesting. But both of them right now are fighting to, to get in yep. Uh, yep. because their power ranks are really not that strong. Yeah, they're both uh, hanging around in the upper third, uh, well, low 30s, I guess. They're trying to fight to get in. Not looking great for either, but maybe a couple wins to finish off. Both teams are three and five. We'll see how they go the rest of the way. Coach uh, Shalmet and John Aaron and all – in essence, this was for the district championship. Uh, I saw we had Shaman on VSN earlier th this year. Uh, Shaman is the real deal. They are playing really good football. They are seated 11th. They beat John Arrett by a score of 21 to 12 this week. Um, what do you think about the Owls? Well, I think they have more playmakers than I've ever seen Coach Tucker have. You know, in the, in the past, they've been a, been a grinded out type team, dependent upon their defense. And they were in between exactly what their, if their offense wanted to be. It looks like they got it going now. Uh, you know, the, they, they beat a real talented John Eric team. It's a little, little down from previous years, but whenever you beat John Eric, you've done something. And it's a tribute to Shawmet down there in the parish because, you know, they, they love their football and they only have that one loss. So, uh, no, no telling what they could do when they get in the playoffs. You know what's weird, coaches, Shamet? They're used to running and pounding the football. They got a quarterback in Ethan Cuvion that really can throw it. This week, he threw uh, 11 to 22 for 143 yards, two touchdowns, but he's been averaging somewhere around 170, 180 yards. Owls fans don't know what to do with a quarterback that can throw the ball. He might get arrested. I mean, because that's out of character for him, you know. But, but it's a tribute to them because you know you you have to, you don't have to throw the ball every down, Jim. But you have to be able to throw the ball. You got to push those cornerbacks back, the safeties back, because those safeties become linebackers, and before you know it, the box is complete. So uh, you know you have to stress the field. I've always been a proponent of offensive football. Not only do you stress the field vertically, but you have to use the boundaries. You have to go below their numbers with some yeah. of your running games sometimes, and and that really makes a big difference. 
You also have to like the coach Tucker being able to set, be flexible and say, you know what? We got a quarterback and throw. We're going to change it, at least for now. They'll go back to their uh, pound and, and ground real soon. Uh, speaking of pound and ground, the St. Charles Comets are pounding their opponents. They did it again this week, Coach. MLK Charter, which is a really good football team, beat them 50 to 6. Uh, you really just got to like what Coach Stein is doing. I mean, this this back-to-back champion team, they look like they they're very well could have a chance to do it again. No, no question. I think that, in fact, this might be one of the best teams they've had because they have a lot of playmakers on offense. Uh, the quarterback, British St. Pierre, can really throw the deep ball. He's got a couple receivers that can that can go deep. He's got a, two running backs. A sophomore running back had a real big night the other night. And the other running back is one of the leading rushers in the city, and uh, he's really good. And I and their defense has been lights out the whole year, and they've always been solid on special teams. Uh, the, you know that Coach Brown does the defense for, for Coach Stein, and 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 Ty Monica, my son, he does the offense, and uh, they work well together. They really, really do play complementary football. And when they have to, they run it, and when they don't have to, and when they can, they can throw it. So they're well-rounded team. MLK did not know what hit them. They um they just couldn't get out of blocks the other night. They they were out man in terms of numbers and and we just had we just had too many players for him. It was running time in the second half. You know, I talked to Coach Wayne a couple of weeks ago and he just he just feels like he didn't say it per se, but he you could just tell he like I, I think he really loves this team, Coach. It, it, it's a typical St. Charles hardworking kind of team, but there's something about this group, something about these kids that they just have that thing going together and it's really working for them again. Jim, you know it's funny that the we got this, and we call it that he's a he's a program kid. We have a lot of kids. We, they're free safety, for instance. He's five foot six, if he's five foot six, and he weighs about 140 pounds. You know, but all of a sudden you look up, and the people try to beat him, and he makes plays. He has about five picks already on the year. He tackles unbelievably. He takes your legs out. But that's the kind of kids that you're talking about that helps you make pro. Now we do have some mothers that can flat run. Well, St. Charles uh, seated right now. They are second. And uh, Division Three and and select MLK Charter. They got a good chance to make the playoffs. They are twenty second right now. They are three and five. They get to face Newman this week, uh, which won't hurt their power rating at all. Even if they weren't were to lose, uh, St. Charles gets Country Day. Coach, moving on to the preview section of this uh, of this week, and we got an interesting one: Kentwood against Southern Lab. Man, you want to talk about a game? We have seen this as a state championship game before. You know, two of the best. No question. You would like to bet the over on this game, whatever it might be, Jim. And uh, the only thing about Kentwood, you know, when, when they play underneath the tower, they're a little bit different team. So now they have to go to Baton Rouge to play this one. And Southern Lamb has always had been a talented team uh, with, with, with guys. I mean, the guys that are big and fast, they're long. They really are long. So I think I think this could be a real good game. But uh, uh, don't be a bit surprised to see Southern Lamb uh, upset this. Southern Lab is averaging uh, 45 points per game. Kentwood averaging 28.6 per game. But you know what? Each defense, they've both been pretty good, averaging less than allowing less than 13 uh, points per game. Should be an interesting. Uh, Kentwood 7-1 and one against Southern Lab 6-1. and one. Uh, We talked about Country Day and uh, St. Charles playing this week. You know, it's been an off year for Country Day a little bit. But, you know, you always have to be worried about them coming in. Because, you know, when they can get up for a rival, Coach, you never know what you're going to get. Yeah, Coach Stein's going to be worried about the homecoming because it's homecoming this week and, you know, the festivities and things like that. Sometimes they serve as a distraction, but I just don't feel like Country Day has enough. Their program's a little young. Coach Cheddar's done a phenomenal job over there uh, with, with the players that he has. He just doesn't have the numbers that the St. Charles Catholic can, can throw at him. And, and uh, you know, he has some kids that go both ways. 
but uh, they will be well coached and um, and they're not going to back down. Uh, we go to uh, the western side of the state. We got Catholic New Iberia playing against Laravel. Uh, you know, six and two against six and two. Catholic New Iberia sixth in in Division three. You know, it could be a future opponent for St. Charles. We've seen St. Charles and Catholic play in the playoffs. Coach, what do you make of this matchup? Well, I think you know that the Catholic High is really on the roll now, and Laurelville, you know, is, is a real, real scrappy football team, and this could be for the district championship. I mean, uh, there's no question about it, and and they always get up for one another. So this could be a real good matchup. I think a, that's why we picked it to to discuss this, and uh, you know, I think right now uh, Catholic High is really, really on the roll, and they look like they got their program going. Got a brand new coach, and I really see. I think that this game going to overtime possibly. Coach, uh, I tell you what, they really could, and and this is one of the most interesting games in the state. I certainly will be looking forward to seeing what happens uh, in that one for sure. Um, Coach Westgate and St. Thomas More, you know, St. Thomas More could very well be they they survived a scare against Turlings last week. They were trailing for most of that game, found a way to come back and win, and kept their number one seating in Division Two and select. Coach, I, I really think pound for pound. This could be the best team in the state. I wouldn't want to play them, that's for sure. They're going up against a Westgate team that's five and three, and uh, you know they sometimes they find ways to keep games close in district play. I don't know what to make of this matchup, but the Cougars right. are for real. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. The only thing that you're saying about Westgate, if they put all their game together, they get people. They have to get the game in the fourth quarter. They can give you trouble because they're really, really talented. St. Thomas More though is, is relentless, and but the only thing that that I did not understand. Uh, Turlings playing that close to him last week. I saw Turlings against uh, St. Charles earlier. I was not impressed with their with their defense, and um, but uh, their offense could score. And but I was surprised that the game was that close. So they really, really must have must have really jacked themselves up for that game and hit some big plays in the game. So, but uh, I do see STM winning over Westgate. But don't be surprised. Though Westgate can make this a close game because they have the athletes to do that. But you cannot turn over the football. Because remember, we we talked on the show a lot that. You know, it's 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 turnovers and explosive plays that they're the difference in whether you win or lose. You want to talk about offense. You want to talk talk about explosive plays. How about Walker and Saint Amal playing this this week? Seven and one against seven and one. Walker comes in. They are fifth in Division One and non-select, and Saint Amal is ninth. One of these teams is going to jump up in the power ratings, and and I tell you, th- this could be for a buy, really. Right. Coach Mahaffey, you know, came from U High. We had several said we used to scrimmage him every year, and, and uh, he brought a system into in place, and now he's got it going. It took him a while to get it going over there at Walker. And, um, and, and Santamo, to be honest with you, has not really played a tough schedule. They, they really played a, we- a real, I think, a, a weak schedule. And I think Walker is better prepared in this ball game, and maybe a little bit further along in this ball game. So I look for, I look for, I know Coach Oliver is over there saying, well, wait, wait a minute now, we, we only lost one ball game. He's done a phenomenal job uh, with that, but but I think Walker's really going to benefit this game and win that district championship. You know, I always hated the term, uh, you can throw the records out of the window. I mean, that's just one of my least favorite cliches in football. But I guess if you were to use it, you're going to use it when you would talk about Jesuit and Holy Cross uh, playing this week, Coach. Uh, the oldest rivalry in the New Orleans area, you know a lot about this rivalry, uh, having coached the Jesuit. And I, and I tell you, I'm always interested to see what's going to go on here. Uh, Holy Cross is, is dipped a little bit after their hot start. And Jesuit, Coach Manali, I don't care what anyone says. They are a very well-coached football team. Anything can happen here. No question. If that was going to happen, I think Jesuit's going to take a page out of Brother Morton's book. 
They're going to shrink the game and try to keep Holy Cross's offense off the field. Uh, Coach Manali is really good about this. He'll put another couple of linemen in the backfield and run the ball and try to, you know, just extend the, extend the plays and go forward on fourth down a little bit. And because Holy Cross's offense is really, really explosive. So I look for them to happen. I remember when I was at Jefferson, you know, we were 9-0 and one year, and, and we played Holy Cross. We played on the Sunday night. Uh, we played Sunday, uh, St. Augustine. Then we had turned around and played on a Thursday against uh, Holy Cross, and Holy Cross had two wins, and they beat us. They beat us. We, we had a perfect season. We were already close to the district championship, and they beat us that night. I never remember, forget that. And also remember, you know, that's what kind of makes me upset a little bit. And when they when they split the the the, uh, the Catholic, I'm sorry, the select and non-select in the LHSAA, when they divided us and made the public and non-public schools. Jesuit and Holy Cross were two of the original members of the LHSAA and long before a lot of these schools that got into it. And, you know, that was that was something that was brought up on the floor and should have been I, we should have paid more attention to things like that. But this is a great traditional rivalry uh, and it's been for a long, long time. Coach, I bet they never let you forget about that loss, have they? They never have. No. <laughs> they, they still bring it up all these years later, I bet. Uh, let's go to the River Parishes, Coach. And East St. John, you know, they had a tough week last week. Losing to Terrebonne, they were they looked like they were you know on this collision course. It was going to be undefeated East St. John, undefeated Destrian. But you know sometimes you get caught looking ahead, and I think that's what happened to the Wildcats this week. They don't have a chance to lick their wounds. They got to play Destrian, and they are fighting for a bye. They're at thirteen right now in Division One. Destrian, you, the same thing it. at number eight. You nailed it because I, I, they've actually openly said that they thought they were going to run the table this year, and uh, and they were looking forward to playing Destrian and win the district championship. Remember last year. Uh, the, the two-point play in the playoffs failed, and then he win that ball game. But you're you're exactly right. I think East St. John's going to put the whole season into this ball game, so it could go down the wire. They're talented enough to make it a good ball game. I know Coach Scott's has preached to his guys about that. Coach Brown's done a, an excellent job there. Uh, you know, Jim. Uh, just on side note, the River Parish has a very good chance of getting Destrehan, uh, St. Charles Catholic. Uh, possibility Riverside could have a, I think Riverside might be one of the best teams in, in their division uh, right up the street. They're, they're really rolling pretty good right now. Uh, the only defeat was against the double A Newman. And then you have St. James there, you know, sleeping out there and, and uh, naturally lecture. So River Parish again, had three state championships from River Parish and within a rocks or 20 miles from one another. And they could t- possibly do it again. And this ball game might, might be a catalyst to see exactly who shows up there. You know, a few weeks ago, as we move on, yeah, there's no doubt about that, Coach. As we move on, you know, if you would have asked me maybe three weeks ago, I would have told your brother Martin and John Curtis, you might have been talking about who's going to get the one seed, who's going to get the two seed. It's a little luster off of it that John, that Curtis lost to, but not enough. I mean, you're talking about heavyweights, Coach. We talked about already Coach JT going for number 621 and tying the national record. But brother Martin, Coach Bonisa isn't going to let him have it. It's going to be a, it's going to be a tough one, and they're number two in the state for a reason. No question, and you know it's going to be it's a pounded out because that brother Martin can rush the football pretty good, and uh, they they can throw it when they need to. But I look for a low scoring football game here. Uh, brother Martin has played some close games, and so is John Curtis. But John Curtis, this is not the typical John Curtis defense of, of the past years, but they're getting better. But they still have John Curtis, and uh, they're going to be in position. Uh, it's going to this. This is going to be a low-scoring ball game. And and again, I would not want to be a brother Morton because I, I don't want to be the team that that ties the record. You know, <laughs> so that's another thing that's going to be a big motivation for the Curtis guys. Coach, rounding up uh, the prep coverage for week number nine. Again, it's it's so hard to believe I'm saying week nine, but uh, you got a car against Archbishop Rummel and Coach Carr. Uh, 
they are number four in the state right now. And number four is significant for a reason because not only do you get that first round by, if you could stay in the top four, you end up being at home all the way through the semifinal until the semifinal. So this is a big deal for Carr. I guarantee you they won't take Rummel lightly. No, I don't think so either. This, the game's at Southeastern, and, uh, you know, and that's going to be an interesting, interesting matchup. Uh, Rummel's young, young defense is going to have a, a task just trying to contain them. But if the, the bottom line is that Rummel's offense has to come to life and, and uh, it takes the pressure off the defense. They have to play complementary football and uh, be real, real sound on special team. It's going to come down to turnovers, and it's going to come down to explosive plays and, t- and turnovers and missed tackles. Those three things. Do you remember this? Explosive plays, uh, turnovers, and missed tackles. Uh, those, those are three signs. Uh, everybody talks about time of possession. That doesn't mean you're going to win the game on time of possession, but those three elements – always mean that you might have a chance. But I know Coach Monica's a little nervous about it because Carr is so explosive uh, in terms of that and, and and probably the best team in the state of all classes. Coach, before we move on to the local college recap, I do want to ask you about another team that we have on Varsity Sports now and affiliate school is, is Archbishop Shaw. I'm a proud alum, as uh, by the way. I mean, I'm just going to throw that out there. But you saw them in week one against St. Charles, and Coach Stein said it was a tough matchup. I mean, it was a three-point ball game. Uh, and – Talk about how Shaw has improved from week one to now. They defeated Rummel in week three, and they've been on a roll ever since. Now they have Higgins, and they'll finish up against Carrico, which should be an interesting game that'll be on VSN. But just talk about how Shaw's improved since then. Well, you, you can tell. I mean, at the beginning of the year, and I think the, the, the coaches told me that because of the heat, they, they could not practice as much as they wanted to and get outside. They had limited practices, and it, it, it kind of showed a little bit. They dropped a couple of big balls in that, in that ball game, but yet St. Charles had a chance to, to move away in that ball game and put the game away. Uh, but you can see that they had the talent. They had the running back and the quarterback had the ability. They got a big, tall receiver that's a, a kid that come from, I think, Jesuit. And so they had some people on the field. They had the, the pieces. They just weren't, they just they did not uh, execute yet. So it's no surprise that they're where they are. Their district is not highly competitive, but the, I think the Karen Crow game is a game that they probably need uh, right now because you got you got to continue to test your team, or else they start getting lazy and and uh, you know that they don't do the little things like you, like they're supposed to. When you play those big ball games, you always excel, keep the, the accelerator down to the floor, and you're always trying to play your best. But when all of a sudden you have a, it's natural for young kids. They have a letdown. It's very, very natural because, you know, they hear the voices in the media, hear the voices in the school, hear the voice from the parents. So it's very easy to have a letdown. But I think the Karen Crow game is a real, real good game for them to play at this time of the year going into the playoffs. I guarantee you, Coach Hank will tell me, I want you to put it somewhere in newsprint that the Shaw Eagle is going to lose 50 to nothing so he can post it all over his locker room. He loves when I do that kinds of stuff. He wants me to pick against him so he can use it as, <laughs> as well. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Coach. All right, let's move on to the local college scene. Uh, talking about college football, we're going to start off with the Tulane Green Wave. They were 20-point favorites over North Texas this, this past week, Coach, and they took a big lead, but North Texas got some momentum, came back, tied the score at 28, and then Michael Pratt did his thing, and he got the game-winning touchdown. But it was not easy for Tulane at all. I think we mentioned to Jason last week that North Texas could score, and they've never had a problem with their offense. They, they can score. I think they're, they're really well-rounded when it comes to that. Their defense has been a little shaky. I think that Tulane early in the ball game, and I've, I've done this myself, 
They saw they they went down in the first drive and scored very easily. They took the second drive, went down there. They turned down some points, so in fourth down. And that was a decision that, that Coach Fritz, and, but they've been aggressive like that all year long. They turned down some points right there rather than going up 10-0. They turned it down, didn't make it on fourth fourth down and two. But sometimes you think the game can be so easy when these guys are not that good, I can make that fourth and two. Uh, you know, and all of a sudden it catches up with you. Then at halftime, you never know. You never know what's going to happen. I, I really think the Memphis game had a lot to do with it. I've always told this to Jason. Absolutely. After his highest highs, your lowest low. And, uh, you know, sometimes you you get so high and you win a big ball game like that, and you come down and you don't get the attention of the players. You keep telling them that, you know, be careful. This could be a trap game. And sometimes it doesn't resonate with them. But it's a tribute to coaching because he coaches all the little things. And I know uh, this week they're really, really going back to the, the, the fundamentals because I've watched them practice, and I guarantee you that they're going right back to their tackling and being in position again. Coaches hate that term trap game, don't they? Yep. <laughs> but they but they use it too yeah they, they use it and, and um I mean, you, you can bet that they've, they've, they've informed their players about it and that it's important for them to just it's hard to keep kids focused when there's so much out there especially with the, the social media nowadays it's no hard doubt to about say, it people are already picking scores and and they're looking ahead to the big matchups and and uh, you know the one that's and my thing, job yeah that's the, my job that's what i do yeah, for a living the, the one the one and no thing is is something that coaches preach but it's really hard to contain that Coach, uh, they, they get a, a Rice team this week that's, uh, you know, kind of scary. They're only 11-point favorites. But I tell you, Rice Rice beat up on Tulsa. And so you, do, you don't know what you're going to get this week. Uh, you know, it could be another dog fight for the Greenway, but certainly not a game they can take lightly. They do get them at, at Yulman Stadium. Uh, no, they go to Houston. I'm sorry. Uh, it's at Rice. But still, I mean, they, they have to be ready, and they cannot uh, take this game lightly. No, Jim, I'm going back. The only time I like rice is in my gumbo. You yeah. Because I, I can remember <laughs> in 1979 when I was at Tulane, my first year that we were nine and two. We went to Liberty Bowl, played Penn State and Joe Paterno in Liberty Bowl. But one of our losses was against Rice, and it was at Houston. And we had a wide receiver that just flinched for a second, and we threw a, a 91-yard touchdown pass, and it was called back. And we lost that ball game by three. So whenever you talk about rice at Houston, it, I, I cringe a little bit. So you know, whenever you go on the road, you have to be very, I think, more dialed in than ever before. You blame it on Dr. Rock Honest, don't you? Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's show in the future. All right. Let's move on to LSU and coach a uh, 62 to nothing whitewashing of army. Um, a big tribute to army in the game as well. Painting the end zones, camouflage, but look, LSU did what LSU's done since Brian Kelly in his short term there, you could see them just from the beginning of last year through the whole season last year, they got better. They're doing this kind of the same thing. Largest shutout victory in 45 years, coach. They get a week off now before they get Bama, but man, Jaden Daniels is incredible. And this team is really playing its best football right now. Well, I, I still think in the last couple of weeks, it still remains to be seen that that defense has been fixed. And, uh, you know, I still question that because, it, you know, against Auburn, Auburn wasn't good enough offensively to test them. Uh, but you needed, they needed to have that kind of game where you play a lot of players and you get to, your starters out of the game and, you know, everybody's happy after. You need that kind of game in there, that buffer game. Um, but yet, uh, Army on the flip side of it, when they're not in a triple option anymore, they're not effective. They can't get that athlete that everybody else can. You know, we all admire them because of the, the five-year commitment that they make. But they just can't get that athlete. And because of the new rule, I think we discussed this about the chopping on the perimeter. Defense used to hate to play the armies and the navies and the air force. They used to hate to play the triple option because they don't see it. 
and uh, you actually have to practice with a sock. So you play a, a sign mature and you don't pass up the ball. And uh, so, but now that they're in the spread, they actually play into to the hands of the uh, SEC opponent, especially somebody like LSU. But, uh, but I do think that LSU's defense will be tested uh, again, and we're going to see it because the less, next few games that they have are really good football teams. Well, there's no question about that, Coach. And, you know, Jaden Milrow is definitely not the best Alabama quarterback over the past 20 years or so, but one thing that kid can do is throw the ball deep, and we know that LSU has struggled against the deep pass. So I think that's the thing to watch out for. If Milrow is successful early on throwing a deep pass, it could be a long day for the Tigers. We'll find out early. I agree. I totally agree. Moving on to the pro side of things. And, oh, man, what's going on with them New Orleans Saints? It was not pretty last Thursday night against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Had a chance to come back, coach, uh, multiple opportunities. They just can't get things flowing they can't get when the offense is going the defense isn't and the offense just man i don't know what's going on there but you you tell me yeah coach i really you know they're getting a lot of blame and throwing a lot of blame around coach carmichael and coach allen and i don't they're very close they're right there i mean they're right there they haven't been blown out of the game they could have won a lot of this ball game with this swap two or three plays against houston i thought the officiating in the second half Totally changed things around. I thought they yeah. were, I thought they went after the DBs at, at, at uh, the Saints, and, and they couldn't touch anybody yeah. after a while. I really thought that was a big difference, and and I, you know, they're putting a lot of blame on Carr. But you know what happens? I, I don't believe in this either, Jim. They, they they got three first round draft choice in the offensive line. I don't think you, you waste a draft choice in a, in a first round in an offensive lineman. I really don't believe that. I don't think their offensive line is is, is kept Carr clean. You look at his pocket, his pocket is always kind of uh, the integrity of the pocket. But we always used to tell offensive line, maintain the integrity of the pocket. Give me a throwing lane. You don't see that. I, I see I see Carl uh, looks like he's thrown out of a silo most of the time and has to throw over people and not through people. He's just not a, doesn't have a clean pocket. Listen, most people in the NFL, the routes are the same. They run digs, they run shallow crosses, they run outs, they run they run verticals. There are not many different different routes in the NFL. The bottom line is that you have to be able to execute. You have to have time to throw it. But yet on the on the flip side of it, the, the defense gave up two seventy five yard drives. Nobody mentioned anything about that. They, they, they keep pounding the offense, and they had over four hundred yards of offense. But they're right there. You remember this. If you take all the DBs and put them in one room, you can't tell the difference. My point is, they're all pros, and they're all getting paid. So on any given Sunday, you saw that this last week, saw Detroit get blown out. On any given Sunday, somebody can, can beat you in the NFL. You know, Coach, it's all about consistency, and we saw that, you know, when Coach Payton was here. You'd get on a roll, and they just got used to winning. And to me, that's the only thing missing from this team is finding some consistency. If this team could find a way to ro roll off two, three, even four games in a row, I think they would feel completely different about themselves, and they are capable of doing that. So you just don't know if they're going to do it or not. If they, they're just going to find consistency. Great point. You know, I always said, said what comes first is the success or the confidence. It's always the success. Then comes confidence. You don't, you just don't go out there and say, well, I'm confident that we're going to win. You have to have some success first. And then, as you said, it becomes a, a domino effect. And all of a sudden the team can really take off from there. Yeah, you know, and if Derek Carr can get a little bit of time like you talked about, I think the fans would feel a lot differently too because I think Derek Carr is a fine quarterback. I really believe that in my bones, and I think he's going to show it before the season's over. Hey, I don't have a problem if he's if he's getting a little upset. I want a quarterback that's got some emotion. He's got some fire. You're doing right. I want to see that. That's better than the alternative and the guy that doesn't care. Exactly. I mean, we've seen that before. That doesn't work either. Right. Uh, what do you think about the, the the game against the Colts this week? You know, the Colts are in a very similar situation, Coach. They, they lost it. They had 
had an emotional, brutal loss. You want to talk about officiating. I think officiating really got them this past week. The Browns were lucky to escape Indianapolis with a one-point win. Gardner Minshew's playing really well for the Colts, taking over for a rookie Anthony Richardson, who's out for the rest of the year. Co- Coach, this team is nothing to, to sneeze at. No, I mean, again, everybody looked at the schedule and said, well, they're not, they're not playing Philadelphia. They're playing these. But, but again, as I said before, they're all pros. I mean, uh, you can't, don't look at their schedule when you're playing those guys. And, and uh, you never know what motivates a, a team. And, and it always depends how that team uh, unfolds. A, a game can unfold in your favor, and all of a sudden you get confidence right there. And you say, well, we're, hey, we're better than this football team. Maybe we can block them. And you can always tell by the very first two or three series in that line of scrimmage, Who's dominating that line of scrimmage? And I go, you go back and you can see that uh, th- this team is doing really well. Now they might hit some plays later on over the top, but you can always tell who's dominating the line of scrimmage. That's what we have not seen from the offensive line of the Saints is, is them dominate a defensive line. Coach Frank Wilson from LSU, associate head coach, running backs coach, recruiting extraordinaire. He's coming up next on the show. But first, we want to tell you about Accardo and Dufresne law firms, Samuel Accardo Jr. and Ari. P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. We'll be back in just a minute. Samuel Licardo Jr. and Ari P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Accardo and Ari Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. It's time for the fun part of the show. We have LSU associate head coach with us, Frank Wilson, also the running backs coach and recruiting extraordinaire here with us. And uh, coach, what's going on this evening? A lot. <laughs> and we so, did. So for, for us, you know, going into the bye week, uh, it's twofold. One is retention, our current roster, and having those um, educated conversations with our guys who are draft eligible. 
and uh, in today's in 2023 conversations about guys uh, who may be in consideration of things like the transfer portal. And so uh, we like to get ahead of it in this week and not wait until the end of the season. And so uh, we're having those conversations uh, before getting on the road Thursday to go start uh, recruiting our high school kids in this bye week. So we'll be on the road Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. But this uh, this week, our undivided attention go to our current roster uh, and the players of the Fighting Tigers. Coach, uh, uh, Coach, thank you so much for being being with us. I know because of this hectic schedule, especially bye week, is it's just no game, but it doesn't mean that you guys are off. That's Coach, right. Uh, let's take, go back a little bit to when you first got into high school. I can I can recall when you were in the West Bank at Walker. Uh, you came in and you changed that culture right away. And I remember you made all your guys wear a shirt and tie. And at that particular time, it really it really changed everything in that school. You started to win. Go back and tell us a little bit about when you first started. Yeah, you know, I had just finished my years uh, with Don Watney at Etna Carr, and we had great success there. And, and O. Perry Walker on the West Bank was the neighboring school. And we had always had very talented players at O. Perry Walker, uh, but we just needed a little more to get over the hump. And so from a culture standpoint um, and just uh, having the kids having a mindset of who they were and what they could be was was our charge. And we wanted them to believe in themselves and identify themselves as as success. And so uh, our identity, our presentation, our, 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 our image, our name was something that we wanted to really press upon um, and so at a public school in the city of New Orleans, we did the unthinkable. Uh, and it happened, Coach, because on game day, we would have the kids wear a shirt and tie. And so we would only do it on Fridays initially. And what happened, it caught fire. And media would come and say, well, um, I can come by Wednesday. Can you guys wear your shirt and ties on Wednesday? Because I think it's a great look to be able to show uh, – how dignified these young men are and the things that you got. Of course we can do it. Well, then someone, well, can we come on a Monday? <laughs> so and, uh, I went to my principal and I was like, listen, I'd like to have this as a uniform for our team. It's like, well, this is New Orleans public school. You don't, we don't have uniforms. I said, I know, but the parents are uh, engaged and, and they like to have it. And we were combating, you know, back then they wore the starter jackets and the Jordans and right. And, and sometimes they'd be in harm's way for wearing that at that time. Right. And so we wanted them, them to know that you can wear a shirt and tie and still be cool and to be dignified and to uh, to feel good about yourself. And and all it came from, I didn't invent the, the, the will. Um, I just was reared in parochial and Catholic schools, going to St. Aug as a high school. And it's what we wore right. uh, to school. And so we just replicated it. Uh, and we had uh, community involved. We have got the local churches involved. And so all the church where the kids went to school, their pastors uh, kind of galvanized. We do a prayer breakfast and all these good things at the beginning of the school year. And we began to do it. And lo and behold, it became our school uniform at O'Pair Walker. And we, uh, we were very fortunate. I had an outstanding staff with me at that time and uh, a principal and, and, and teachers and faculty that just really bought into it. And so, uh, yeah, it kind of, it, it, it resonated and we, we were very fortunate to have great success. Oh, it was, it was phenomenal. Coach, uh, you know, you and I 
followed a similar path. You know, we were in high school, we went to college as assistant coach and uh, back into high school. But but you actually went to assistant coach and then you became a head coach and back as assistant coach. Uh, coach, uh, knowing this, I think it really, really helps you to become a head coach and then become assistant again. And, uh, and because you understand the loyalty aspect and you understand what that head coach is going through. Talk a little bit about that aspect of it. It is. And so, um, you know, I got started early, of course, as a high school head coach, then started um, as a, um, a high school assistant and then a coordinator and associate head coach and things of that nature. And then in 2016, was very fortunate, the success we had and under the tutelage uh, here with Coach Miles just really gave me an opportunity to be presented with opportunities. And so when we ever, whenever we had the, the TAF or Tiger Athletic Foundation tours, you know, he would relegate some of those opportunities for me when that we had budget deals or at the uh, at the Senate or, you know, um, with hearing and or uh, things at, at, at the state capitol. Um, Coach Miles would allow me to, to be involved in those things. So it was preparing me for the opportunity. And, and then he gave me the responsibility of managing our roster. And that was from a recruiting standpoint. Uh, at that time. And so it prepared me to go on and be fortunate enough to be the head coach of the University of Texas San Antonio uh, and start that foundation, It was a, which was a tremendous challenge because it was a startup program. I wasn't going to a program that had been in existence for years. And so we, I mean, we taught them everything from the alma mater to the fight zone to the third <laughs> channel, all, all those things that, you know, a school that doesn't play football generally does. Right. Um, but it was so, you know, went full circle and COVID year was at, at, at McNeese. And when I talked to Coach Kelly, you know, he asked me about coming back and I kind of and he's like, really, this is that difficult of a decision. For you? I say, Coach, you know, it's just um, it's a different deal, you know, to to have success in, in the SEC, to have success at LSU requires foot soldiers to mm-hmm. get weeds and to, to clear it and relationship with the phenomenal high school coaches in the state of Louisiana. And I've, I've been a a collegiate head coach now for the last seven years. Uh, And to go back into those weeds to, to do it, I just, I got to make sure my mind is right for it. Because it's a monumental task. (laughs) Coach, you, you were always known as Jim said earlier as a excellent recruiter in the New Orleans area. And you got some of the top guys that's still in the NFL today that tell me how, how did that evaluation process work for you? And what's your procedure and on selecting the guys? And do you have um, the right just to go out and sign the guy, or do you have a do you have to the whole staff that you have to go through? And and Coach Kelly has to make the final decision. Coach Kelly makes the final decision uh, with anyone that we sign within our classes. And so uh, I'll have the latitude after the position coaching coordinator would see him uh, to to have input or voice. Uh, but we share responsibility in it, and it starts with the position coach, the coordinator, myself, and then the last line for final approval is, is the head coach. So if you looked up, like on all these boards over here, that's all. <laughs> that's a, that's everything that we have going on there. So my my walls in my office is just a uh, every top player in the state of Louisiana, every top player in the, in the region of, of of this country that we identify. Um, and we've been very fortunate to to not just be able to identify them, but to evaluate and and what's so the challenge is projecting. Right. They are as 16, 17 year olds 
they may not be once they become collegiate athletes at 18, 19, and in their early 20s. Coach, I, I remember, and I can say this, um, and I think you, there's stats on it. You do a phenomenal job with ball security. And I know that's a real, real big part of selecting a, a good running back is you're going to hold on to the ball, but you teach them the per- correct way with ball security. And I don't, want, I don't want to jinx you, but your guys, especially Dick, he holds on to the football. And also, um, you know, when you recruit a great back, a lot of, a lot of people uh, recruit backs based on their yardage and touchdowns they scored. But when you recruit a back, it's all about all the process. He's got to be able to block and to pick up the blitzes. And, and as you know, and you guys have done a good job of that and also the blitz pickup. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so from a ball security point, it's our creed. Uh, and, and it's titled, it's all about the ball. And when you walk into the running back meeting room, there's a signage or a quote from John Heisman. And the quote says, it's, it's, it's better to have died as a young boy than to have fumbled this football. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and then. Uh, That's then pretty our, serious. <laughs> <laughs> then our creed goes on and talks about it. But it's something we, we practice. We don't just say, hey, hold on to the ball. Uh, we live it, we practice it, and, and we abide by it. And here we are, you know, in week eight of the season, and, and one haven't touched the ground yet. And so uh, it's something that I think is is our gift back to the team and that we take pride on. As, as far as uh, the ability, the, even in, in this last game against Omri, we caught six, seven balls as a backfield. Not one of those times where we're the primary receiver, but because of these guys' ability to – uh, to see the field, to see blitz demeanor and, and front and, and uh, secondary indicators uh, allows them to get out early or to be able to scan. And, and, and our backs, we ask a lot of them, they don't just have a man, they have full scan responsibilities majority of the times uh, in protection. And so uh, it's been very good for us. Yeah, Coach, uh, uh, yeah, you know, a lot of great backs that really can carry the rock, but when it comes time to pick up that, not only have to pick it up, and face a guy that's a lot bigger and stronger than they are, but they also have to know who to block, you know. And, yeah. and I mean, the scan part process has been really good, but you guys have done a great job with that. Guys, uh, coach, can you touch a little bit on some of the guys that you have in the pros or or you think might be headed there that, that you've coached or you've been associated with? Yeah, you know, and so in, in regard to the, that ability to be able to protect and, and to catch it and to be a resource, we, we call it the money down in the National Football League. Uh, to protect that quarterback by physically doing it and picking it up to be technical technical and tactical and how to, not just who, but how to block him uh, is a critical part. And so we have the distinction of uh, from the time that I got here in 2009 from Richard Murphy to Stephen Ridley to Alfred Blue to Spencer Ware uh, to Jeremy Hill to Kenny Hillier, Terrence McGee, Leonard Fournette, Darius Geis, um, on and on and on. And the last one I recruited, of course, was, was Clyde. And right before him, Devin, who moved to, to linebacker. Uh, every back that started here and, and our time here has gone on to play in the National Football League. And, uh, and we use that. We use it proudly in, in our recruiting pitch that 100% every back that has started for us in our time here has gone on to play in the National Football League uh, at some point. Um, and so... Uh, we're proud of that, and I think a lot of it is because um, to carry the ball, they come a dime a dozen. But to be able to play on the money down and understand situational football is a is an art, uh, and it's taught. And so 
they don't just carry the ball, but they play well without the ball. Um, I like our group now. I think Logan Diggs is primed and in position to be able to have an opportunity at the next level. I think Josh Williams, the same, um, and some of those other guys, John Emery, uh, will play at the next level as well. So uh, we're very proud of the room that we have and the success that we've had. Oh, no question. You've done a phenomenal job with that. Coach, uh, your bye week, I know some people don't like bye weeks, and I never did care for it, but I think it's important to, you know, to heal up guys. But also what you're doing right now, you practice a little bit, but you get a chance to catch up on recruiting and, and uh, patch up some things. Uh, how do you guys handle bye week in terms of practices and, and recruiting also? Yeah, so uh, we, we, we try to stay sharp. Everything, of course, is condensed, but it's a big opportunity uh, for our young guys. And so guys like uh, Caleb Jackson, guys like Trey Holly, um, you know, our, our quarterbacks, our offensive linemen, it, it allows us to develop our roster. And so um, the practice is one that has individual and situational stuff, uh, but we play tackle football in, in these days in a limited capacity for those guys who don't play a whole bunch of snaps on Saturdays in the development of our team. And so uh, it's, it's huge for us and developing um, those young guys and, and their ability to, to, to take the field in, in future snaps. No question. Coach, you got a little, last but not least, you got a little game coming up in, in about a week or so, a little scrimmage or whatever you call it, you know what I mean? And, uh, <laughs> so so kind of give us a little brief uh, rundown, a little brief scout report from your standpoint about, uh, about Alabama. Yeah, they're, uh, they're a well-coached football team. They're extremely talented. They're biz- big in stature. They're fast. They're, they're typical Alabama football teams, uh, but I like us. Uh, I like our team. I like our ability to to go compete at a high level. Uh, I think our, our our kids will rise to the occasion. Uh, I really believe this, uh, you know, and it's echoed from Coach Kelly, that this game will be won up front, that big men will lead the charge. And so uh, whoever can win the line of scrimmage between offensive line and defensive line, respectively, uh, will be the team that comes out victorious. And so uh, it's a big man's game uh, when you go to Tuscaloosa. And uh, our guys understand that. They're charged with it. And uh, we look forward to, to playing to the best of our ability against a very quality opponent. No question. It looks like you guys have cleaned up your, your special teams and, and, uh, and it looks a lot, lot cleaner um, than you were guys a year ago. Yeah, we, 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 we have. Um and it's, uh, it's been a joint effort, you know, that all hands on deck, uh, the full staff, Bob Diaco is kind of heading it up for us now, but every coach is involved and uh, it's our responsibility because we're all shareholders in this program. And so uh, we have some some talented young men that, that are playing at a high level. Uh, and I think our coaches are really uh, 100% behind it, led by our head coach who's involved in it and, and has the unique ability, whether it's offense, defense, or special teams, to fix it. Whatever issues we may have, it's it's Brian Kelly's greatest strength that he can go to the offensive side, he can go to the defensive side or special teams and fix whatever issues we have. So uh, we're very fortunate to have such an outstanding head football coach. Well, Coach, coach uh, last but not least, tell us a little bit about your family, Coach, and them. Um, and, uh, and- and, and your, your family life and what's your lifestyle right now during this year? And how much do you see them? Yeah. And so uh, my youngest is on the team now. 
uh, Frank the Fourth. We call him Quad. So he's a part of the Fighting Tigers. And <laughs> had a moment last year in the bowl game where he broke the LSU record for Logan's interception return. So proud of, <laughs> yeah, so proud of him and uh, what he's doing with our football team. Um, my oldest son is in Houston working uh, as an electrician. Uh, just received his certification in refrigeration. And my daughters, um, we're from. Oh, I can use him right now, Coach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my daughters and my wife are—we're in the coffee business, so we're franchisees, owners of uh, PJ's Coffee, and so oh, wow. Southwest Louisiana. Uh, Mom and the girls—they uh, run those stores for us. Well, Coach, that, that's well, that's I, great. I see, them, I see them on weekends. Oh, that's super, Coach. Yeah. Listen, we can't thank you. Anything else you want to add? We can't thank you enough for taking your time. No, I, to be with us. no, I, it's an honor to be with you, coach. You have always been a class act, has been a have been a mentor to me for many years. Uh, and I'm truly honored uh, to be able to to be on this podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. And thank you guys for uh, allowing me to, to to be with you tonight. Thank you, Coach. That's exactly like I wrote it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Coach. LSU Associate Head and Coach Frank Wilson. Thank you so much. Good Thanks luck again, so Tigers. Yes, sir. And again, we thank LSU Associate Head Coach Frank Wilson for joining us. Coming up next, we're going to have the Let's Be Frank section and Blitz the Ball Coach. We're going to talk about turf fields versus grass fields. But first, we would like to thank LSR for sponsoring the Let's Be Frank podcast. LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. Southern Cane is available in your local Associated Grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. We'll be right back. Samuel Licardo Jr. and R.A.P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Accardo and Ari Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen.
Welcome back to the Let's Be Frank podcast. We would like to thank Riverlands, Riverlands Insurance for sponsoring the Let's Be Frank podcast. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Okay, it's time to get going here. The Let's Be Frank segment brought to you by ULCS, setting up the game plan. Coach, Monica, what do you have for me? Coach, everybody's asking, what is that big card that the, the coaches hold right in front of their face and why are they hiding their lips? A bit like someone's going to steal their, their players from because there's a lot of talk about people stealing plays at the Houston Astros and now what's happened at Michigan. That's the story for another day. But what that card is, is actually on one side of that whole card and it color-coded and maybe laminated uh, is, is a, a comprehensive list of all the plays. And the coach might have the, all the plays listed there by formation, and you also have you have the play action passes, you have the deep throws, and you have everything on that one side. On the other other side is a, a broken down list, and it might be like for us. I used to always like to script the first ten plays on offense, and maybe ten. Some people use fifteen plays. Some people just use four or five. But like I always wanted to make sure my offense made at least one first down on that first drive. They kind of get the game going, and uh, it might be a pass in there. Maybe you let off the game with a pass or something like that. But other than that, it, w- it also went down there. So you had categories, and the categories are broken down like third downs. And uh, I would always – I think the biggest uh, uh, point of contention was third and medium. So that would – third and medium would be anything from four to six in my mind. So I would have 10, 12 plays right there in that category, and that's huge. And you practice those. You practice those in a block. Uh, during practice, and then you had another section that uh, was third and short, and that might have been from from one to three years. One to three yards was considered third to short, and you can have you know a different formation for that also. Then the last one would be third and long. That was third and long. Anything over eight plus third and long, maybe third and twelve was third and long. I always had a schedule too, and coaches do the same thing. They have what's called off schedule plays. Off schedule means okay, I get a penalty on first down. So what do I run next? So I'll go to my off-schedule chart and run something, maybe a screen, a draw, or maybe a deep ball right there in the off-schedule chart. Also, as the game moves forward, I go all the way to the red zone, and that's another category you had broken down. You had red zone runs by formation, then you had red zone throws in red zone, and then you, you might have had something on the outside that maybe a deep ball shot. Or maybe I always had a, a section of gadgets. And Bill Walsh had talked to us a long time ago, if you use the gadget, use it first. And I always carried two gadgets in every ball game just in case you needed it. Then the next block would be your short yardage. So you go your goal line, what's considered short yardage, is the plus four. Plus means the plus side of the field. You're going in to score. So plus four was considered short yardage. So that's when you change maybe personnel or maybe you didn't. A lot of people with the spread – or staying in spread, and a lot of people, there's a big controversy about that. Said when you're one yard line, why are you snapping the ball backwards? Why don't you just take the ball from underneath? And the reason for that is that a lot of quarterbacks don't know how to take a snap from underneath. Exactly. So, so that's what happens, and, 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 they, and they're used to doing it. Uh, and also, um, so we go third down, I'm, I'm sorry, goal line runs, then goal line passes. And, and also then after that, you have two-point section. You always practice your two-point plays every week. And, and, and people, uh, Tuesday, for instance, for me, was always my goal line uh, practice day. 
that we go down there and you run a bunch of refs. You spend at least 15 minutes on goal line because nothing more frustrating than a football team. And you hear that, that talk about the Saints all the time. They get down the red zone and they don't score a touchdown. And, it, and I think it's important that you try to – I mean, field goals are important too, but it's important that you try to you score seven there. But basically that's what it is. Now, there are other things on that chart that you can put personal notes down there and you see coaches with a pen, they're scratching out a play that they didn't like or they're adding something. Uh, but, you know, sometimes you, the worst part of it for a coach, you get to the end of a ball game and you look at the chart and say, no, I didn't run this and why not? And you beat yourself up for not running this thing. But most of it is actually it becomes a scripted plan of the game plan of the week. And that's what we call That's what's all on that card. And some coaches make it real decorative uh, and, and it's laminated. And, but um, it, uh, it's something that's a necessary evil. I got two questions for you when it comes to that. My first question is, you said you got about, like, you know, if it's third and medium or whatever, you got 12 plays on there. Well, my daughter likes to play a game where you pick a name. Do you just go, uh, that one? Uh, no, no, I'm just kidding. I know, no, I know that you have them in order. Do you have them in order? order. Yes, it, it, in numerical order. You go in numerical order. But all of a sudden, you see people might be different defense. You know, uh, for, for us, Jim, um, it was a big thing for people don't play just spread. Are they playing with a tight end? Are they playing with four wideouts to play with a tight end? And a lot of times when it was hard for us to know what was going to, what was going to run because people don't play the players the same because right. we use 21 personnel, which means two backs and a, and a tight end. And uh, you don't see that too often anymore. You see a lot of spread. So how are they going to play us? And that's a big thing. So sometimes that number one might not be number one and something like that, but it, it wasn't chronological order. I lied three questions because there is one question that popped in my head when you said that, you know, d how much does it change from game to game? Does it change a little bit? Did, like some sections not change at all. I know you talk about how, how teams will play you differently, but how much does that change from game to game? It changes a lot. And based on coverage and based on their front, especially on offense and the defenses now, they do the same thing because if a team is playing odd against me, these are the plays we like against odd. And we'll fire a play. We'll take it out that week and fire, we call it fire. And we'll fire that play. And this is my even play. So, and we have a board with, with, those, with the laminates on it and all the plays with the magnetic tape. And all, these are the plays that we run. And, uh, you know, I always believe in this, Jim. You always go back to your basics. In other words, I might get away and run something we haven't run before. But when it's crunch time, I'm going to go back to the basic. In other words, a rabbit always runs his favorite hole. And the, your players must know in crunch time what is Coach Monica going to call. That's important for them to do that because that's what they practice the most, and that's what you make adjustment for. If you take it away, I know what to go to because that's my base play. But you're, you're exactly right. It has to change according to the coverages and the front. One of my best friends is Nick Saltifamaggio, and he always told me, he's always told me, best play, best player when the game's on the line, right? Amen. Amen. I mean, exactly right. Don't try to fool anybody. Don't try to outsmart yourself. Best exactly player, best right. player. The last question I have on this coach is, uh, you know, it, it's funny you bring this up now because there was a thing. I don't know if you saw this on social media a couple of weeks ago, but coach Peyton, his, his script card, they got a big picture of the back of it where you could read the whole thing. How much is that a big, you know, I was thinking, you know, it's probably not that big of a deal because they do change it up every week. How do you think he's upset that they, they got a picture of this or do you think it's not that big of a deal? Well, I don't think it's that big a deal because you really, uh, for instance, when you go in the spring training and you play against your own defense, yeah. that defense is seeing you play every day, but yet they still work. Why? I mean, because there's still a little drama in it. There's still a little, little apprehension about what are you really going to use? Are you going to run inside, outside, or are you going to run left or right? I mean, I think that's really, really overrated uh, when, it, when it comes to that. 
And um, but uh, you, you do have to change those plays up anyway, because every team is a little bit different. Some people like to blitz a little bit more. And that's another thing that another category that I didn't talk about, because you have to have a package for that. OK, if they're going to storm the gates and play man coverage on me, where do I, where do I go to? I have to have a, a secondary, a secondary game plan just in case they take this away. And you always do. Because, you know, coaches, are, I mean, they, they really, really do a great job of, of schooling that. Now, it really makes me upset when I see teams that are not prepared uh, and, and, and they don't, there's no coaching out there and they have real good athletes and they blame it on the talent level when it's their fault. They need to look in the mirror a little bit. Uh, well, I think there's no doubt about that, Coach. And, you know, you know people don't blame good, – good coaches don't blame, uh, don't have any excuses, and neither do good players. So, I mean, you just don't make excuses. All right, it's time for me to blitz the ball, Coach. We're going to blitz the ball, Coach, and we're going to do this by talking about turf fields versus grass fields. Coach, uh, obviously, and even in high school football, turf fields have become a big deal, uh, and, and and they really have, and they've become prevalent all across the metro area of the state and really all across high school football. Do you have a preference? Oh, yes. If I had to play games, Jim, it would be the play on grass, especially on dry nights. It's perfect. Uh, you know, there's nothing like the smell of grass, nothing like the, the soft turf falling on it. And there's no excuse about, you know, the, the injury thing. Everybody's worried about that. If I had my brother. But I will say this for high school, especially for high school, the turf field has been a great invention because of this is what people don't realize. A turf field, first of my football field, I'm going to use that five to six games a year. But if I got a turf field, I got somewhere I can practice when it rains. For instance, when we were at St. Charles, whenever it rained, and especially early in the year, we had to go slop around in the mud, and we tore up that field for the rest of the year. It was not in good shape for the entire year. But you have a turf field. It takes all the drama. Where am I going to practice? Well, I'm going to go practice here. Plus, not only that, you can use it for PE classes. You can use it for a lot of other things, uh, for soccer and other sports. And, I mean, that's a big, big issue. And I don't have to paint it. Every week we had to spend five hours on that Thursday morning painting my field, you know, so that was a, that was a lot of work. Uh, I know when I was a baseball coach, had we had a turf baseball field, I would still be coaching baseball because, <laughs> because you manicure in the field, uh, you're cutting it, herbicide it five times a week and stuff like that. But, uh, and I know there's a lot of talk about the injury stuff. Uh, and I, there's injuries, abrasions that can take place. And, and, and maybe you don't have the, it depends on the type of turf you have also. And, uh, but the, I know the NFL guys, because they, you know, the way they hit, the way they play, they much prefer, prefer to fall on grass and be tackled on grass than the, than the turf field. But when it comes to high school and I think in, in saving a lot of money, uh, even though a turf field might run about a million dollars right now for high school program. Uh, that, so my, my thought is I'm going to play on a dry night. I want to I be on, on, on grass. But yet the worst thing is that the pouring down rain right before game time on a grass field and you got to go slop around, that changes the game totally. And, and, and I think it becomes the equalizer to a weaker team. You know, it's also a little bit different probably once you became an athletic director, you probably thought about it a little bit different than, than when you're just a football coach. You probably say, oh, I'd rather play on grass. I don't care if we got to paint the field. But once you become an athletic director and you realize, hey, we got to use this for soccer, we got to use, especially at a small school like St. Charles. Right. Exactly. I mean, it, it, it's got to be something that's conducive for everybody. Even the PE classes have somewhere to go. And, and I mean, it's, there's nothing worse that um, when the rain comes and it's pouring in lightning. And of course, you can't go out there with lightning, but rain comes in. Where am I going to practice? If I don't have a, a turf field, where am I going to practice? I can't tell you many times we practice in parking lots. Practice in parking it. lots on, on the, because it was concrete, you know, especially when you get these rainy weeks and the fronts come in. And we haven't had that yet this year. 
But uh, then you really appreciate that field. But yet when it comes to just a dry night, there's nothing like playing on that grass and uh, in, in the turf. Yeah, and the I will say this about turf fields. I, I've, I'm i a big fan of grass as well, but the turf fields have come such a long way over the last 15 years and become so advanced. The the ones they have now, they're as close to grass as I've ever seen. And, you know, interestingly, Coach, the Saints don't play on grass again the rest of the season. They're playing That's on right. turf every game the rest of the season. That's kind you of know, weird. the Tulane has a, a new turf, and it's supposed to be like 15, 20 degrees cooler than the regular turf. And I thought that was interesting. Maybe they could have practiced on it over the summer because they couldn't practice much around here. It was 105 degrees. All right, Coach, moving on. I got a quick question for you. You know, we want to talk about the MLB playoffs. And, uh, you know, last night it was it was weird. I say last night as, as we record this on Wednesday night. The Texas Rangers, they defeated the Astros uh, every – all the road, the road team won every single game of that series. It went seven games. It was crazy. It was such an interesting series. Um, it could be the end of Dusty Baker's managerial career as well. But man, you got to like the the fight that the Rangers had in them. Oh my God, it, it was unbelievable. You know, and Houston's been a real, real resilient team. Uh, they, I think that their offensive lineup was pretty awesome. You know, the first, especially the first four hitters. But all of a sudden, Texas. And then, and then, but the Corey Cigarettes show stop, and, and yep. they, they had some, their bullpen came to life, and they got a lot, a lot of models out of, the, out of their bullpen. Those young players, young freshmen, I'm not a freshman, rookie third baseman. And uh, then, then the Garcia goes crazy last night uh, with, with his bat. Now, that was good to see because the night before he struck out four times, then hits a grand slam, you know. But very interesting, you know, every one of those teams, most they won was 90 games because the, the guys that won 100, they're all gone. So this is the interesting series, and 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 here's the Diamondbacks playing the Phillies, and where the bunch of no-name guys, where do they come from? One of the guys was wasn't even in the majors until two months ago. So, so I yeah, mean, it's a this is really interesting. This goes to show with baseball, it's a long season, but it comes down to resilient guys. You know, I'm a Cubs fan, and just about a month, maybe a month and a half ago, the Cubs and Diamondbacks were basically fighting for that last spot. Who'd have thought that we're we're here a week left in October, and the Diamondbacks. The last we saw, they were tied with the Phillies, still fighting, still fighting. They're still in this thing as we record this. So who knows? Who knows? Exactly. All right, Coach, it's time for the lock of the week. What you got for me? Well, I'm going to take Florida in the points. I, I think that Florida is going to give Georgia all they want. And, and uh, I know it's a big game, and it's a big rivalry. It's been for years. And and, uh, and I'm banking that the Georgia is not the Georgia. Of, uh, they're number one right now until somebody – uh, knocks them off their crown, but uh, I look for, for Florida because Coach Napier is a good coach, and I think he's going to get this offense rolling. You know, I like it too because I don't think Georgia has really. I mean, don't get me wrong; I still think they're the best co- team in the country for right now. Uh, but I don't, I don't think they have a clear path to the national championship like they've had the past couple of years. I think it's going to be way harder for them to win this year. Uh, maybe it's Michigan this year. Maybe it's Coach Harbaugh. My pick of the week is one that you wouldn't think. I'm taking a winless team, Coach. I like the Carolina Panthers getting three at home <laughs> against the Houston Texans. You know, the Panthers have had a week off. Coach Frank Reich has decided that he's going to give up his offensive play calling duties. Uh, and let me tell you something. A team that is winless to, at this point in the season with a week off, I still think the Panthers have a decent amount of talent. I still think that Bryce Young is going to eventually be a really good NFL quarterback. And I think this week off helped them. And uh, if you want to give me three points by a mediocre team when you're playing at home and desperate, I'm going to take it. So give me the yeah, Panthers I, and the plus three. I, I like I, one thing about Bryce Young. Uh, he was in the Manning camp, and he was, in fact, I had an opportunity. He was in my in my group, um, and um, he's not a real big guy. And I mean, that's that's the only thing that that bothers me because when he runs, I mean, he's about 180 pounds. I mean, he can get broken in two. The other thing is just being able to see. 
I think that's huge. And, you know, most quarterbacks in the NFL are like 6'3", six, 6'4", six, guys. Yeah. Not saying they can't. Uh, Jalen Hurts is not really big either. Uh, we'll say that. No, he goes underneath everybody. He, yes, he does. He does. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, but I, I think I, I, I think, think Yeah, I think Bryce Young is going to be, you know, there's a reason why he wears number nine. Because I think mm-hmm. eventually he's going to look like number nine. And if you remember, Coach, Drew Brees struggled a little bit at San Diego. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be Drew Brees, but I tell you, I think he's got a really bright future. And when when people give up on a quarterback after like six games, it drives me insane. I mean, how yeah. could you possibly know he's not going to be a good quarterback after like six games? Last point, Jim, I've been a big fan of, of Mayfield. And i tell you why. Uh, because he's competitive. Uh, he was he's in the mini camp years ago. He's very, very competitive. He's not a big guy either. But he's very competitive. He loves the game. He studies the game. The Saints will understand they had an opportunity to get him. And I wish they had taken him because I really like his moxie. Well, you know what? Maybe you're right, Coach. Maybe the, maybe they think that now. Probably would have got him a lot cheaper than they, <laughs> than they paid for Derek Carr. Not that I have any problem with Derek Carr. All right, Coach, before we go out, I do want to give our social media plug for the night. You can follow us on Twitter. Well, X, if you want to call it X, whatever you want, at the LBF podcast same thing on instagram on facebook the let's be frank podcast and then you got it the lbf podcast you got it you will find it just just, just search <laughs> i'm telling you you can't miss it you can't you can't mess it up coach i want to thank you so much seriously for allowing me to come on and take and helping uh, helping out here today i have enjoyed our time i really love the segment with coach coach wilson i mean that that guy can just flat out coach and he knows what he's doing Exactly, exactly. And Jim, you've had a lot, a lot of, I think, a fire to this this program. Uh, thanks for coming on and pinch it in like this and, and uh, hope we can do this again, you know, because we have a few more shows. So Jason might be, you know, Jason might be going back to Disney World again, you know, sometime. So stay, stay loose for us and, and get, it keeps swinging. You need me here, Coach, and I'm here. All you got to do is call call the number two off the bench. I'll have I'll have the headset on, and I'll be ready to go, Coach. It's been a lot of fun, and I want to thank everybody out there for, for watching Let's Be Frank podcast. We'll see you next time. Jason Dewey will be back in the seat next week in Week 10. See you later. God, God bless everybody. Say your prayers. Eric Hale is our guest speaker uh, with the LHSAA um, Coaches, uh, Coaches Committee. Uh, he's the executive director assistant. And before we go, I just want a personal note. I know Eric uh, fairly well. I knew his dad very well. Just passed away last year because uh, of COVID. So uh, I, I love the Helds, a great family, a great football family. So glad I'll be watching, Coach, but I'll be watching from the sidelines. Good, good night, everybody. Happy Halloween to you. <laughs>